0: A guillotine's probably the best way, isn't it?
1: Well, mm, I don't know cuz a sharp guillotine Yeah, but then you're, you know, it's so efficient that your brain is still conscious. So you mm. you, you experience the sensation of falling into a basket.
0: Do you though?
1: Yep. There's oh. plenty of um How well, cool I guess they're anecdotal because of the time it was, but of mouths of the people who'd just been guillotined still trying to speak obviously I mean, you know you don't have a, the vocal cords anymore so you can't yeah. so it's just a <laughs> but yeah because <laughs> oh. you're not you're not able to pass air over it anymore so it's like no, it's
0: no. true, but true they're, they're trying
1: to speak I mean if it was me and if I did retain consciousness and the sort of guy picked me up you know to show like this is the head of a traitor
0: yeah. I'd
1: try to do a cheeky wink Like a suggestive wig. (laughs) Hey, guys. Who was
0: it that wore a wig? So then their heads... Hmm? Like, someone wore a wig.
1: A lot of people wore a wig. Syphilis was everywhere.
0: But No, but it was like... um, It was to piss them off. Because they were going to hold their head up as like a head of a traitor. (laughs) And then it it just... um, Yeah, and then they couldn't because the head rolled away.
1: Oh, that's a brilliant dick move.
0: Isn't it? I like Did the him. head roll
1: away, or was he using his tongue to slowly drag Can the you himself imagine? away? <laughs> <laughs> <I'll> t- <laughs> Brilliant. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... So, this story takes place in the 20th century.
0: Oh, a century that we were born in.
1: (laughs) Indeed. It was the century we were born in, making us very old now. (laughs) But we're going even further back because Job Highway had been born in the Black Country in the West Midlands in 1867. Specifically, the town of West Bromwich. The area had gotten the nickname the Black Country due to the combined impact of the smoke from thousands of iron foundries and the waste from up to 600 individual coal pits. Pollution that was created from the 600 individual coal pits and the thousands of iron foundries was described as having created a blasted, stunted landscape with the people living in perpetual twilight.
0: I mean, not much has changed.
1: Well, it sounds nice, doesn't it?
0: It does. It actually sounds dreamy. It sounds like Into the Night Garden kind of <laughs> stuff.
1: Ah, that's where Eagle Piggle started out. That's why, you know, he can't talk now and clearly has... It damage. is
0: proper freaky, isn't it?
1: Oh, in the night garden. Mm. We went to watch a live show. That was a trip. <laughs> now, I don't want to compare the Black Country to hell in any way. However, it is worth noting that along with pit collapses and inevitable lung problems caused by breathing in the coal dust, there were multiple underground fires that occurred and would burn for months at a time, causing smoke and flames to sometimes just erupt to the surface randomly.
0: So, like, in the
1: pits? Yeah, yeah. A a coal seam would set alight, because obviously you just had oil lamps down there. Mm. And once it started burning, you'd given it a supply of oxygen because you dug all the holes. So you basically, oh, that's done. The longest running of these fires took place near the town of Wensbury in the 1890s, and it burned for two years. What? Yeah.
0: I mean, it'd be lucky if you lived nearby, then you'd have very low like, coal supply because you wouldn't need it because you'd be warm just by being near the place.
1: Yeah, I mean, you would have, you know, under-soil heating, that's true, but the fire, it kind of started to get involved in your day-to-day life because it burnt through the sewage pipes, resulting in the smell of burning poo, adding to the spicy mixture of pollutants that were already in the atmosphere. It's
0: my favourite scent.
1: Spicy poo. Mm. And not only that, it also caused at least one death when a hole opened up right below a 71-year-old night watchman called Thomas Hodgkiss. He fell into the flames and was immediately burned alive.
0: Well, that is like something from the scene of like biblical times. Yeah,
1: he was literally just doing his rounds, walking down a street, and then a pit opened up. Underneath him, full of flames, and he was barbecued.
0: Whoa!
1: I know. I mean, it saved money in one sense because he was cremated. No,
0: no but... cremation, but this Jeez. was this pre the days of cremation though. Like, was it? Isn't cremation quite a new thing?
1: It may have been. I mean, I think cremation was developed in America first, so this may have been pre British cremation. But it was around the same time. Anyway, maybe it gave them the. Uh, inspiration because they sort of gathered a few of the ashes and went, well, there you go, handed it to his widow.
0: I don't like cremations.
1: Why not? Are you, are you planning on inhabiting your body again?
0: Well, I just don't like the idea of never existing. Like, at least if there's a body there... I want someone to put me in a really weird position, so then, like, when they, when they <laughs> dig me up in years to come, they'll be like, "What could he be doing? Is he hugging his loved one? Is he doing this? Is he masturbating? I don't know. Like, who knows? Like, it's
1: okay. So I'll, I'll remember that, and when when the inevitable happens, I'll be like, just just make it look like he's jacking <laughs> he off. It's what he would have wanted. Headline coffin. We want to preserve this image.
0: Oh my god, yes,
1: <laughs> for future generations. Now, if you did want to avoid the potential risks of the coal mining industry, you could work at the chemical plant. That being the chemical plant that dumped toxic materials directly into the river, which Mm. turned it bright yellow. The owners of the plant claimed that this wasn't really a problem as the chemicals were mainly antiseptic. So they could possibly actually be beneficial for the people forced to drink the water.
0: Just like a river of Savalon or something?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the spoiler alert here is it wasn't good for the people drinking from mm, it. It turns surprise. out drinking raw chemical runoff <clears throat> doesn't doesn't end well in terms mm. of life expectancy. Alternatively, if you didn't like the chemical industry, you weren't into coal mining, you could take a job in the metalworks where tiny pieces of jagged metal would lead to chronic inflammation of your lungs, causing you to cough up blood.
0: It didn't look good for any of these people, did it?
1: Well, I I hear what you're saying. You know, these are all high-risk industries, but there was a fourth industry. Mm.
0: Um,
1: You might try working at the phosphorus plant or the copper plant. (gasps)
0: Okay, yeah. Where you
1: might develop a condition called fossey jaw.
0: Oh, I've heard of this.
1: Yeah. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Mm. Essentially, it's um, a progressive necrosis or death of the jawbone that will require amputation.
0: Well, you have your jaw amputated. Your
1: lower jaw amputated, yes.
0: Well, how the hell do you move your mouth then?
1: Well, you don't have a mouth anymore. You have a hole oh. into which food is placed, probably very carefully. But to be fair, not everybody got fossy jaw. Some people just had their skin dyed green, their teeth dyed blue, and their hair turning grey practically overnight, which is just normal. Hippies. Yeah, I mean, you could look like the Incredible Hulk, so who doesn't want that?
0: I mean, yeah, just go for it.
1: Anyway, back to Job, who decided on the first of these industries. He was just a coal miner. He was like, well, I I understand pit collapsing. And, you know, lung conditions, I'm probably going to get those no matter what industry I go into, but I really don't want to lose my lower jaw. Mm. I need that for stuff. Yeah. Well, he got married to a fellow black country native called Emma. However, soon after the marriage, she began nagging that the regular acid rain that was falling was putting holes in the washing whenever she put it out to dry. Also, the babies they were having kept dying. Um. So, eventually, reluctantly, Job agreed to move the family. They picked the idyllic setting of Wigan.
0: Very nice. Mm.
1: There were still loads of coal mines to provide Job with employment because Wigan, of all the Lancashire towns, had the most coal mines. Okay. However, the overall pollution levels were low enough that you could actually grow plants in your garden, which was something you couldn't do in the black country at the time.
0: You couldn't grow plants? You couldn't. So
1: most people would try and grow, you know, some extra vegetables or, you know, some things in the back garden to sort of supplement the diet, but... In certain but, areas of the black country, the pollution was so bad that anything you planted, it, just, it didn't have a hope in hell. You know, when the rain that's falling, it contains chemicals. It's just like... God, no. we
0: don't deserve this planet, do we?
1: Well, I mean, the the industrialists of uh, the Midlands definitely don't. But luckily they're all dead, so we're okay.
0: Until today.
1: <laughs> We've managed to overcome death, and the first um, people we thought to bring back were... Uh, the instigators of the Industrial Revolution, because they seem to be very upstanding citizens Mm. who really cared about their fellow man.
0: Well, we can just show them what they've done to the world.
1: And they go, yes, but I had lots of money. (laughs) Do you know, I could eat cartridge every night.
0: And Fossy Jaw.
1: Oh, they never got Fossy Jaw.
0: The people who own
1: these factories, they lived way out.
0: Yeah, I get it. Mm.
1: Anyway, another benefit of Wigan... There were large local parks available to the public that allowed the Highway family to finally experience a thing called fresh air, (sighs) which they'd heard about and read about in books, but it's nothing like the experience. The first time you breathe a lungful of fresh air. I mean, you've you've just moved out of London, so you can kind of appreciate the sensation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can. I can indeed. I, I live quite high up on... A mountain? No, not a mountain. A a higher part of the city, and it is quite fresh up here.
1: And you're noticing now, aren't you? You know, your thoughts are clearer. Oh, yes. You're moving faster. I am. Yeah. Anyway, after the move to Wigan, the babies that Emma was having started to survive. Oh, great news. Five of them eventually reaching the status of fully-fledged children. Yes. The youngest of these was a little girl called Louisa May Highway, who was born December 3rd, 1906. Now, Louisa didn't seem like the kind of person who was going to be remembered by history. Unlike her brothers, she was too young, and let's face it, a little bit too female, to serve with distinction <laughs> in World War I. Yes. And instead, she got married to Joseph Ellison at the age of 25 in 1931. That's and quite late, isn't it? Oh, for them
0: days, for them days,
1: maybe. But she didn't. She made up for lost time because she eventually had four of her six uh, children survive to childhood. By the time World War Two had ended, okay. And unlike for most of Europe, it was actually the end of World War Two that started all the trouble for Louisa. Oh. You know, most people saw the end of World War Two and they went, "This is a good development." Yes. For Louisa, not so much.
0: Okay. Tell me more.
1: I will. At the time she got married, Louisa's profession had been listed as a captain in the Salvation Army, which I'm sure you will agree is a fine, upstanding role for any person to have.
0: The Sally Army, yeah? yeah
1: she was, no, she wasn't just in the Sally Army. She was a captain of the Salvation Army. She was the boss. She was the one who got to hold the bucket. Oh, very yeah. good. Yeah. However, I'd argue it's quite easy to be virtuous when you're not experiencing any hardship and when the end of World War II did not bring an end to rationing, Louisa found herself increasingly frustrated by the continued restrictions on her diet. Mm. <clears throat> she, and I don't think this is unfair based on, on pictures of her, she liked her food. Fine. Uh, and she resented the government, you know, putting limits on the food she mm. could have. If anything, she was a libertarian. Okay. Yeah, she was for small government. Now, although most of the people in England had to just grin and bear it, Louisa found herself with an opportunity to improve her situation. She just had to break the law a little bit <laughs> in order to do so. Just a tad. You see, her father, Job, had died in 1945, at the impressive age, considering the start he'd had in life, of 78. Well, oh, very good. Which, if nothing else, proved that his decision, or his wife's to move, decision to move, yeah. was, you know, she'd... Emma had steered him right in that. However, Louisa still had his ration book. Oh. And to add to the temptation, as Job's profession was still listed as underground miner, he had been entitled to an extra five ounces of cheese on top of the normal ration allocation. I
0: mean, that's fair. I would do anything for cheese.
1: Well, I mean, you only got... The thing is, you only got three ounces, generally.
0: I don't know what an ounce is.
1: I I I don't know how to explain this in words. I'm trying to. It's like this much.
0: Can you send me A three ounces of-, of cheese in the mail, please?
1: What you need to do is go to your local supermarket. Go to the you know the the people at the back who cut these things up for you, and ask for three ounces of cheese, and then you'll you'll be given three ounces of cheese. Fine. Because I feel like if I send it to you, and there's any delay in the post, you're not going to want to open those three ounces of cheese.
0: Maybe I will. Maybe it's fermented. Mm. Yeah.
1: That might make it better. Become <gasps> a blue cheese.
0: Yes, mm. I'm all up for that.
1: Anyway, all that extra cheddar proves to be too much for Louisa, who began picking up her father's rations alongside her own.
0: Mm. I mean, I would, I would do the same, to be honest.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I can understand why she did it. Nobody likes to be told that they can't have more meat. They can't have more cheese. They can't, you know. You, you want to be able to have as much as you want rather than mm. as much as the government tells you can have. Yes. Anyway, in order to cover up the fact that she was, you know, committing a fraud, she just said, Oh, well, you see, my dad's 78. Well, he'd be 79 at this time. My dad's 79. He's a little bit under the weather and I don't want to risk him coming out. So I'm picking it up on his behalf because I'm a good daughter.
0: Mm.
1: After a few weeks of this excuse, it's likely that someone thought to check up on old Job, just to see if he needed any help. Because yeah. if you hear a 78-year-old man hasn't been out of the house for three weeks, you, you start to worry, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. When his widow, Emma, explained that he had died the previous year, the authorities were alerted, and Louisa was promptly arrested for ration book fraud.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's worse things to be arrested for, isn't there?
1: You think? Because despite mm-hmm. this being a first offence... Louisa was sentenced to 84 days in prison. What? And all of her four children were taken off her and sent to live with foster parents because she was deemed an unfit
0: mother. That is ridiculous. Mm. Oh, my goodness.
1: First offence. And if we're talking maybe a month before this ruse was, was found, she got an extra 20 ounces of cheese. So for 20 ounces of cheese...
0: She's lost all of that. She's
1: Yeah, she's lost three months of her life and all four of her kids.
0: That's insane.
1: Because the law has always, always been heavily skewed against the poor committing benefit fraud. Yeah. You know, as opposed to very rich people not paying any tax. Absolutely, yeah. it, Yeah. it, It is, yeah. We would rather spend tens of thousands of pounds investigating someone who's getting the higher level of PIP than we would investigating a billionaire who is paying notice.
0: serious <laughs> Yeah, it's just... And yet we still accept it.
1: Anyway, even though it's obviously a social injustice, Louisa had some time to think. She had three months to think, actually. And it seems that she did some soul-searching during that time. She sat herself down she thought, how did I get here? Mm. And she decided that what she really needed to do was to get better at being a criminal... so that she could get away with it next time. Yes. Now, she got out after three months, and maybe she explained this to her husband, but it doesn't seem Joseph was particularly ready to join her in a life of crime. He wasn't ready to be the Bonnie to her Clyde, which was a little bit of a wrinkle, but it became less of an issue a few years later when he died of hepatitis in 1949. Oh, okay. Mm. Louisa was now 43, and free to try and swindle as much money as she could, and she started with a good old life insurance scam.
0: Yes, the classic.
1: Ooh, the, the the black widow scam. So, even before the body of her first husband was laid to rest, she began seducing a 78-year-old. a man. I mean,
0: we've all been there.
1: <laughs> Have we? Have we been that desperate?
0: No, not yet.
1: Oh, there's always an option. That's all there's I'm always an
0: option. When I'm 78, maybe I will.
1: Well, this particular 78-year-old, he was called Richard Weston. And it's likely that Richard had some inkling that the attention he was being paid was more due to his bank balance than due to any real feelings of love. Mm. Um, but he was happy to have a younger woman warming his bed and the two married on February 6th, 1950. Uh. Richard Weston lasted 10 weeks with Louisa before dying of a massive heart attack. Uh. No one suspected foul play, and Louisa was able to take all the assets from the marriage, as well as a nice little sum from the life insurance policy. So, I mean, you know, did it work out for both parties? I mean, if he
0: was, like, warm in his bed and satisfied... Well, he never
1: explained, I couldn't find anywhere, why he'd had a massive heart attack.
0: It could have been very aroused.
1: Yeah, intercourse puts a massive strain on the heart. So it may yes. have been that he died a very happy man.
0: It, yes, he could have done. He could have at that climatic moment gone.
1: Mm. Well we can never know if Louisa killed Richard deliberately by sexing him to death or <laughs> if her plan had been to just wait for nature to take its course. Because, I mean um, it
0: could have been one of two, really, couldn't it? Like
1: Well you you'd see all of these, you know, these rich older men who are like in a wheelchair on oxygen and they have a very young wife. yeah, And she's, she's not in it for the long game, but she's at least willing to say, well, I, I, w- I don't need to kill him because God will. And I don't need to risk all that's coming my way for a couple more years of being able to spend it. I'm just going to sit tight. We don't know if that, was, if that was Louise's plan. But she enjoyed the financial windfall. And she enjoyed it big. Becoming a regular in the pubs of Wigan and often needing to be escorted home at the end of the night due to the <laughs> amount she had put away.
0: Oh, good good for her.
1: She 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 got some money and a bit of financial security for the first time in her life really mm. and immediately became a raging alcoholic.
0: I mean, doesn't that happen to a lot of people?
1: I imagine it would, you know, because a lot of life is struggling to get by. Mm. And I think a lot of people who've never been able to just relax would find it very, very difficult to suddenly be thrust into that situation where it's like, okay, now you can do what you want.
0: What do you mean? I don't have to go down the mine anymore.
1: Where's where's the structure to my day? You've literally got to create it yourself. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) To the pub. (laughs) And I shall stay there until it closes. Now, it may be she was looking to pull the same trick again, or she might have actually wanted to try and find a kindred spirit. Because within six months, Louisa was married for a... Well, no, sorry. Third time. Yeah, Louisa was married for a third time. This time to a 68-year-old widower called Alfred Edward Merrifield.
0: So she's gone 10 years younger.
1: 10 years younger than him, but still, you know, we're talking, what, 24 years older than she is? Mm. So there's still still an age gap, I think. Yeah. Uh, But they they have more in common even despite the 24-year age gap, because like Louisa, Alfred's first wife had died in 1949. OK. Not that this had significantly impacted on his life, as he had abandoned his wife and ten children.
0: What it, a fertile man.
1: But he'd abandoned them in 1928.
0: Oh, Jesus. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. So he'd abandoned them 21 years earlier.
0: God, so his wife must have been pregnant for, like, ten years solid
1: It was pretty much he did 10 years of um, making a family and then immediately decided that that was too much for him and left because he needed to focus on important things like going to the pub because he too was a raging alcoholic Mm. and eating meat pies because apparently he he quite liked meat pies.
0: I mean, both very valid reasons.
1: Yeah. I I could help you raise these 10 children that, you know, I had a 50-50 sort of handing in bringing into this world, but... I also really want a pint. Can you
0: imagine sitting down to your two kids being like, (laughs) kids, I'm off now because I want a beer and I shall not be returning. Goodbye.
1: (laughs) To be honest, you didn't become bartenders quickly enough to buy my love. So goodbye. (laughs) Where's my pint? Well, the thing about it is that alcohol is a social lubricant. Mm -hmm. and it was enough of a lubricant that despite the age gap the two seemed to get along really well and rather than kill him for insurance money Louisa decided that she wanted him to stick around so she was going to develop a brand new scam that they could work together (gasps) oh interesting Yeah, husband wife team let's do this love it they began answering adverts calling for live-in domestic help where they would pose as a respectable couple who could work as a housekeeper and handyman respectively so they were, uh, you know, they were they were giving you the full, full the service. The full package. Yeah, they'd spend a few weeks casing the house and earning the trust of the elderly homeowner before they pilfer as much as they could and leave the employment before the thefts were discovered. Good idea. Yeah. Unfortunately, in order to pull off the scam, the Merrifields had to live a pretty nomadic life because you couldn't pull it off in Wigan four, five, six times, because word's going to start to get around that there's this pair of drunkards who are (laughs) placing older people. So they began crisscrossing the north of England, going to a new town every time where the name wouldn't be known and where they could, you know, start with a fresh slate, trying to ensure each time that they took enough to fund their drinking, but not enough so that the victim felt it was worth pursuing them. Ah, okay. Because, you know, you, you steal a bit of silver or, you know, the money that someone's tucked under the mattress for a rainy day and then you run off. They're going to go, oh, well, it's annoying, but...
0: It's not enough to warrant...
1: Yeah, I've learned a lesson. This, yeah. It's that kind of once bitten, you know, twice shy kind of thing. That's the level they were aiming for. They weren't going to, like, leave some elderly person in just the nicks in a bed and, like, everything else is gone. It was, we'll take just enough so we can get by, but not enough that they're going to feel like they, they want to take it up with the authorities. It's a, it's a fine line to run, but they ran it for quite a few times, you know.
0: Okay, and it worked.
1: Oh, it kept working. So when I say it worked a lot of times, between 1951, when they started the scam, and March of 1953, Louisa held 20 different domestic positions, which all ended under a cloud of suspicion. I
0: mean, yeah, if you're going to hustle, hustle big.
1: But that meant that she covered quite a large proportion of the north of England in order to keep running the scam. And eventually, she ended up in Blackpool, on the oh. filed Coast.
0: Did she see the illuminations?
1: Well, she would have done, because in 1950s, Blackpool was in its heyday as a tourist destination. Yeah, I
0: like Blackpool,
1: People still like it, but we're talking about the decade where hundreds of thousands of people went there every year. Mm. Because package holidays abroad weren't a thing. We were still, you know, rationing. We were still in the austere times, but everyone could do a day trip to Blackpool.
0: And they should have as well.
1: Oh, well, you can you can actually look at footage from uh, this time. YouTube has loads of footage from the 1950s in Blackpool. and the Do
0: they have trams? Packed.
1: Well, yeah, they still, they had everything that you'd recognise pretty much because there was the ice cream, the Punch and Judy shows, the donkey rides.
0: The fairground.
1: In a prototype form, yes. The the startings of the fairground, Madame Swords was there.
0: Blackpool Tower.
1: Oh, yeah, the tower's been there since the turn of the century, so that was already quite an established thing. But not only that, in the 1950s, it was considered such an attraction that even Frank Sinatra he left Las Vegas also Mm. known as you know the Blackpool of America and recorded a live album in Blackpool in
0: 1953 did he really? he did no way the Frank Sinatra
1: because you've got to remember in the 1950s the Tower the Golden Mile and the Tramway they were already over half a century old they were already established in a part of British culture and to Louisa this prosperous seaside town seemed like the perfect place to retire.
0: Yes, I get that.
1: Because she was looking at her husband, Alfred, who's 71 by this time, and she was thinking he's he's not going to be able to keep going for much longer. You know, he's, he's doing his best, but he's supposed to be posing as a handyman. Yeah. And... People Not very like,
0: handy well, if he can't use his hands.
1: Yeah, you know, is the arthritis is starting to kick in. He, I wouldn't trust him up a ladder. So what What she felt they could do with was a nice little bungalow in Blackpool that they could call their own and enough money that they wouldn't have to work again. That's what they needed now.
0: I would love a bungalow. That's yeah. like the dream.
1: Well, there's, there's a lot of them in, in Blackpool, to be fair, including one specific nice little bungalow owned by 79-year-old Sarah Ricketts. Mm. And do you know what? She just so happened to be advertising for some live-in domestic helpers. Mm. Now, Louisa and Alfred moved into 339 Devonshire Road on March 12th, 1953. And Louisa quickly decided that she wasn't going to move out again and began devising a plan for how to make sure she didn't have to. Sarah Ricketts was what you might call a difficult woman. She stood at only four foot eight, which technically means she could be described as a dwarf. But what she lacked in height, she made up for in sheer force of personality. She was reported to be quick to anger and constantly demanding of all those around her. And when I say constantly demanding, it was to the point that not one, but two former husbands had chosen to gas themselves in the oven of 339 Devonshire Road rather than spend another day with her.
0: whilst you've been telling me this i've looked up 339 devonshire road bungalow and it's really nice Mm. i wouldn't want to leave there either
1: well two husbands did and they chose to leave in a very very permanent way do you
0: think the people that live there know this we should send them the link to this podcast
1: i'm i'm sure they know just, just the idea that you, you know what happened to the first husband, and even knowing that, you marry Sarah Ricketts anyway. There must have been a point at which you're sticking your head into that oven where you realise the sort of absurdity of the situation you found yourself in.
0: God, she must have been hard work, man.
1: Oh, she was, she was very hard work, apparently. Um, she was, she'd driven her own daughters away, because she had two daughters. So they, d- they didn't really keep in touch with her. Which you can imagine, someone who's... I, d- I don't know whose kids they were, whether they were mm. one from each husband or whether they were both from one of the husbands. But either right. way, there's got to be a bit of you when you're a kid and you realise that your dad killed themselves just to get away from your mum. It's I mean, going to colour your relationship.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah that would do it.
1: And another thing that she did that was of much interest to Louisa was she had a habit of constantly changing her will in order to needle family members.
0: Oh, you see that a lot on the telly, don't they? They're like, I'm going to write you out of my will.
1: But but she she didn't just talk the talk, she walked the walk. She had, like... I know she didn't have speed dial, but she had the equivalent of her solicitor on speed dial, so any time anyone pissed her off, she would write them out of the will... Until I came and gave a fawning sort of apology and tried to make make amends, and then she, I, I will write you back into the will. Bring me my lawyer, and the lawyer would come and she'd go. I need to change it. And da, 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 I bet he
0: couldn't stand her either.
1: Well, I, I don't know because every time you change your will, you have if to pay. pay. So I think he loved her because you know he wasn't standing to get anything out of the will, but. If she's ringing him three times a week to change it, it's like, you, you do realise this will be another £10. Like, oh, yes, 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 whatever.
0: Can a lawyer write themselves into a will?
1: Uh, if they want to get disbarred mm. and make themselves, you know, suspect in any any death that straight down the line. Yes, they can. Mm. But, you, well, I guess what you do is you get the the person to sign it without reading it all or having left out a page or you'd insert a page after they'd signed it.
0: Yeah, I mean...
1: But I think it's always... I think if even if you genuinely wrote your lawyer into your will, people would always look at it like it's a bit dodgy.
0: Yeah, you'd have to write them in, like, in a third-party way, wouldn't you? Or at write them wife. in and,
1: and sort of before you die, state clearly to all of your family members or write them. You know, so you've got documentary proof that you... And also, I have written in...
0: Can you do, like, video wheels these days so they know that you're not lying? Because you're actually saying it.
1: I seem so, as so long as it's um, sort of recorded. Yeah. I mean,
0: I don't have any money to give anyone, so... Yeah.
1: You don't have to give money. You can give items. You can give advice.
0: <laughs> don't live my life. <laughs> Look at what I did. And don't do it.
1: (laughs) Anyway, I don't know how it happened, but Louisa managed to convince Sarah to change her will and leave the bungalow to her instead of to her relatives. Mm. So I'm guessing she waited until Sarah had had a particularly big argument with her daughters and then went, do you know what, would really piss them off. (laughs) If you signed your bungalow over to someone who was below them, you know, like maybe, I don't know, off the top of my head, the help... Imagine if you signed your bungalow over to the help, and then you could wave that in the faces, then they'd come crawling back. You know, just for a laugh. I mean, it it wouldn't be for long, maybe just a couple of weeks. But still, you know, legally, if you did die in those few weeks, it'd be for the help. So wouldn't that be fun? Anyway, sign it. Um, And she did.
0: I'm surprised.
1: Well, the the power of hate and the power of spite are are very strong, because... (laughs) Louisa definitely didn't get her to change it by being a hard worker. As Sarah had been heard by neighbours and by friends and family members as complaining that the Merrifields were not feeding her enough. So yeah, she, she signed it over to them, despite the fact that she was complaining to everyone about how crap they were. She suspected it was because they were pocketing a large portion of the housekeeping money so they could go out and get drunk. I mean, yeah, right. their reputation, yeah,
0: their reputation precedes them.
1: Mm. And after the will was changed, Louisa began bragging at the pub in Blackpool that she was frequenting that she was soon going to be coming into a large inheritance and would be able to live a life of leisure. Why
0: do, they, why do people always say that? Like, just keep your mouth shut?
1: Well, she went further because occasionally she'd just say that Sarah had died. And that the house was hers, which wasn't true, but she was telling people (laughs) in the pub that Sarah was already dead.
0: This is my bungalow. Hmm.
1: Unfortunately for her, her husband Alfred began to hear her boasts and he started to realise that it was very unlikely Sarah had been convinced to leave the house to both of them. So he took himself off to see Sarah and convinced her to change the will again so that it was clear that the inheritance was an equal share between the couple okay so he felt that louisa was going to try and cut him out of the house
0: because uh well they obviously don't trust each other they know what each other are like
1: and i think he was he realized he was getting older and he was he was less of an asset to her so it was like mm, oh yeah yeah it's great she signed the house over to me and then as soon as she dies louisa's going to turn around and go yeah you need to leave now <laughs> we're done here. Goodbye. Yeah, leave my house, Alfred. Because what's he going to turn around and go? You can't just abandon me. she be like, "What? Like your kids? When did you last uh... see your kids, Alfred? You dick." Boom. Mm, I'm using your own thing against you and your comeuppance <laughs> and nobody's going to judge against me. And you know, the Edwardian times that we're in. No, it's not Edwardian, is it? We're in. Do,
0: do you know where we are, Joe? I know where we are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is Elizabeth already on the? Throne.
0: she came in the phone in nineteen fifty something i don 't know the exact year
1: okay, that 's just blown my mind. the fact that this may have happened right on the cusp of our current queen. jeez, okay, well, either way, I think he was right to sort of suspect her, but even though he had very real concerns about her, Louisa got very annoyed and shocked, even, that her husband believed her to be untrustworthy, despite the fact that, you know, they got together over a mutual love of drinking and crime. However, half a house is better than no house at all, so in order to make sure that the new will could not be contested, Louisa, apropos of nothing at this stage, asked Sarah's GP, a Dr. Yule, if he wouldn't mind coming around to the bungalow to confirm that the old woman was perfectly sane which okay, is a fair. normal thing to request, especially mm-hmm. from a housekeeper who's been employed for less than a month. Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, you know, so uh, you, Less than a month? Yeah, GPs will often get phone calls from brand new, you know, help, going, can you just come and just confirm the sanity of my employer? Just just come on, we'll make you a cup of tea as well. So, you know, it's a day out. Okay. At about the same time as Dr. Yule was... Um, Attending on the 9th of April and confirming that, yes, my patient is still sane. And, he added, in very good health. Mm. Alfred was out buying rat poison. (gasps) And one thing about, you know, the the house, the bungalow, it didn't have rats.
0: Mm, Not on that fancy street. Oh, no, no,
1: no. You you had a, a you Not know, on
0: Devonshire uh, Road or Drive or whatever it's called. No,
1: no, you had um, a paid for rat catcher who works exclusively on that street.
0: You had dancing foxes at night. <laughs>
1: They've been trained at the finest ballet schools.
0: 1953 by the way is when the queen. Ah, came so we're to the right film. on the
1: cusp of yeah, mm. our current queen. So, um 4 days later on the 13th of April louisa merrifield called a different doctor to the bungalow uh, a dr albert victor wood saying that sarah ricketts was very ill and she might die at any second she's you know quite a turnaround from is in very good health the doctor arrived to find that sarah was at the very worst a little under the weather and told (laughs) louisa that she'd wasted his time
0: get her a cold compress
1: yeah he's like there's nothing wrong with this woman she's a slight chest infection at the worst. You know, she's got a little bit of trouble breathing, but not, not anything that I'd worry over. And he left. <laughs> her thing. Hmm. Sad that he'd been torn away from his dinner. Yeah. The next evening, Sarah Ricketts died. Oh. This time, though, the doctor was not called until the next morning. And Louisa explained the delay in calling the doctor by saying that Sarah had clearly been dead when she checked in on her. And as a result she thought it best not to wake a doctor in order to confirm this immediately. Mm. You know, as no doctor likes to be sleep-deprived. No, of course. Everyone likes to be well-rested, so, you know, her as a housekeeper, she's got the skills to confirm the death of a person. No need to call the doctor. As soon as a death certificate had been produced by the, the doctor who did turn up the next morning, Louisa asked an undertaker called George Henry Jackson... If you wouldn't mind cremating the body, now.
0: <laughs> this like, second. Like, get the get the barbecue on.
1: Yeah, why why aren't you doing it? Come on, burn her. It's what she wanted.
0: <laughs> burn the bitch.
1: Also, Louisa insisted there's no need to tell Sarah's two daughters that their mum was suffering a slight case of death until after the body was cremated, which, which needed to happen now. George, come on. Right now. Yeah, Go. I've got a match. Come on, let's do let's this. Let's do it amazingly, despite the pressure, George decided not to immediately burn the corpse on the the insistence of a wild-eyed 46-year-old housekeeper, Mm. which proved to be a very wise decision. And when the death was announced in the paper on the 16th, one of Louisa's drinking buddies, a lady by the name of Jessie Brewer, which I think is a great name for a drinking buddy. It is, yes, yes. She read it and she approached the police with some information. She told them... But Louisa had been drinking with her on the evening of the 12th and had said that she had to leave early as she had to go and lay the old woman out. Mm. When Jessie asked if Sarah had died, Louisa had apparently replied, not yet, but soon she will be.
0: People just need to watch their mouths when they're committing murder.
1: I think if you're going to commit a murder, don't go and have a skimful before you do it, you know.
0: Maybe you need it, though, didn't you, to do it?
1: Oh, you think it was Dutch courage?
0: Mm. Anyway,
1: we're getting ahead of ourselves. No one said Louise has murdered her. She just died at a very opportune moment.
0: She definitely murdered her.
1: Now, the police checked with the local chemists after hearing this. uh, They found Merrifield's signature on the poison register for rat poison, which contained Mm. large quantities of phosphorus.
0: What's phosphorus?
1: It's a chemical that can kill people if you take too much of it. It actually occurs naturally in the body, but if you have a massive overdose, um, some of the symptoms of slight overdose will be breathing difficulties. Okay. So what I'm thinking is that um, the first time she called the doctor and said, I think this woman's about to die, she hadn't given her enough of the poison.
0: Okay, fine.
1: You know, she'd been a bit you know, she she just dusted a bit of poison and she'd expected a massive reaction and then there was just a slight cough. And so the second time she'd she got in with a bit more of this poison. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those things, I, I, I understand the logic is you don't want to raise suspicion by chucking loads of poisoning because you don't want it to be detected, hence the worry about burn the body now. But, you know, also you don't want to do too little. Because then you're not going to kill the person; you're just going to give them a slight tummy upset. So yeah, <laughs> either way, you know the police have found that the Merryfields have bought this rat poison. Oh, God, I bet it's a
0: horrible way to go, isn't it?
1: It's not fun. It's um, multi-organ failure. It's I hate feeling sick.
0: Pain. I hate it. Like I will genuinely like cry, and I don't cry at anything. I'm like heartless inside.
1: I cry my I'm, own pain. Uh,
0: honestly, because you can't breathe, can you? But like you, when you're being sick, you obviously can't inhale.
1: Right. No, no. You, you inhale between the vomits.
0: Oh, I had norovirus once. That's the worst thing.
1: Did you have to make the choice? Um, what goes what, on the floor? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> From what orifice?
0: Yeah, I mean, I had, I had a bowl in one hand. I was on the loo in the... Like i oh, the On the other that's, hand, yeah, that's good. But um, oh, it was grim. I couldn't even take a sip of water without projectile vomiting everywhere. And then my poor mum, she got it the next day, and we were both just. Have you ever seen that Family Guy episode where they're just being sick on like, each other? The entire yeah, day. and that's pretty much what was happening. <laughs> like, it was gross. Right. Uh, I looked fabulous after it, though. I lost so much weight. <laughs>
1: I recommend norovirus to anyone who's starting a diet. It's a good... It gives you a good boost. It does. Your whole dieting process. Because also, afterwards, you're very mistrustful of food. Yeah. For for the longest time. (laughs) So anyway, the police, after finding that, you know, these Merrifields who turned up a month ago had the house signed over to them and then had their mistress die, they decided that they might want to do some investigations. And the first place they went to was to George Jackson, the undertaker, And they asked if he wouldn't mind loaning them Sarah's body for a quick autopsy. Okay. They didn't want to put them out because, you know, undertakers got to undertake. They make the money once they go in the ground, but do you mind? Uh, They also began searching the bungalow from top to bottom. Now, Louisa, she amazingly didn't appear bothered in the slightest by the police coming to the bungalow. Because she had convinced herself that they had committed a perfect murder. And she was what? presumably unaware Idiot. of the fact that the body of Sarah Ricketts had not been reduced to ashes and was currently being examined for signs of phosphorus poisoning.
0: Oh.
1: Because I'm pretty sure George Jackson, to get her out of the Undertaker's office, just went, yes, 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 we'll do that immediately. Just Please go just away. Please go away. I don't need to speak to you anymore. You crazy, crazy woman. <laughs> she was Be gone. <laughs> I mean, to be honest... Can you, in your position as housekeeper, really insist on anything when you go to an Undertaker's? Surely it should be a relative who decides these things. I mean,
0: I was going to say it was like ages ago, but it wasn't ages ago, was it? So,
1: Well, I used to live above an Undertaker's. Did At- you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we lived, our very first house, well, flat as a married couple was above an Undertaker's.
0: Oh, I love that. How emo. It,
1: it was amazing. Also, we lived at number 13, just saying.
0: It was oh, 11A,
1: but it was 13.
0: That's so cool. Because it went
1: 11, 11A, 15. But yeah, it was, it was really warm in the winter because obviously more, more people die in the winter and they had to put on the, um, the extra fridges at the back that kicked out a hell of a lot of heat. Uh, okay. And we almost had underfloor heating from it.
0: That is amazing. Did you? Is that where you learnt your love of, like, Sweeney Todd and stuff?
1: Oh, that was all M. Oh, I love it. She, she is the lover of the macabre. That's her through and through. But, yes, um, I, I, I missed where I was then. So, Louisa was so sure that she was beyond suspicion that she began giving interviews in national newspapers about the entire affair. She oh. insisted that she had been trying to do her best... ...to alert the doctors to Sarah's deteriorating health... ...but had been told she was being foolish. And she had evidence to back that up... ...because she had phoned a doctor... ...and said this woman was dying. And the doctor had said, no, she's not. And then she mm. died. So she was like playing on... I, just, I, I was with well, her I was, the whole time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the god goddamn doctors not doing their jobs. It's not me.
0: Isn't this... I've seen this in like... ...psychology programmes and stuff... ...where people who have committed crimes like, put themselves, like, in the middle of it, Mm. like, on purpose, but in a different role. So they're, like, really cooperative with the police and they're really, like... They're the ones that go out searching for the bodies and leading the search and stuff.
1: Part of it's a way of of distracting from, you know, their own guilt, but also it's, I want to see as close as possible all the disruption and all the heartache and all the you know what what's caused, going on yeah. i want to be front and center for it so if i can be part of the investigation or if i can be you know it, at press conferences and i can be i can see all the pain it's causing people mm. and it's tasty it feeds me <laughs> it sustains me the, the it makes
0: me feel really good inside
1: When they're sad, I feel warm in my tummy because I'm not sad. (laughs) I'm a broken person. Anyway, the police, they were asked as well if they wouldn't mind commenting and they refused to confirm or deny whether Louisa was a suspect in a murder case. Okay. But the fact that they wouldn't say she definitely wasn't a suspect in a murder case got Louisa a bit annoyed And she started saying that if any accusation was made at all by anyone, she would take legal action for defamation. So not understanding how the police work. She's like, if the police accuse me of a crime, which is the job. What? Yeah, that's. I will sue them.
0: Okay, fine.
1: The police, meanwhile, they weren't particularly bothered about her threats and they confirmed the cause of death was poisoning and had found poison in a jar of jam in the house, which Mm. Sarah Ricketts was apparently fond of eating straight from the jar with a spoon which Mm. is the most unsettling part of this story for me because who the hell eats jam straight from the jar with a spoon? That is inhuman
0: I would do that
1: That's the act of someone who was, you know, they're at the lowest ebb. that's not something you do just on the daily.
0: No, honestly, I would do that I would, have no, I would have no qualms with doing that at all.
1: Really? Okay. I
0: also would have no qualms of eating Marmite with a spoon.
1: That's, uh, for a that's disgusting. But whether it's Marmite or anything, I think it's just one of those things. It's like, I, I don't think I'd ever reach the point at which I couldn't toast a piece of bread. Mm, you
0: see, I don't like jam on toast. So I'm, I'd like it in a tart.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you can make a pastry case. Fancy, I
0: could or I could just take a <laughs> spoon
1: <laughs> <laughs> and eat it straight from the jar, and then just a shortbread biscuit at the same time it's almost like a jam tart
0: <laughs> yes fine
1: oh, all right no worries well it struck me as odd anyway as far as the police were concerned they had a clear motive they had means and they had opportunity so the Merrifields were arrested on April 30th 1953 Mm. whilst on trial in the July the two Merrifields adopted two completely different tactics to try and convince the jury of their innocence Alfred Merrifield was reported to have appeared confused and docile in court he came across as quite stupid and feeble never really speaking even when spoken to
0: okay
1: he was probably hoping to convince everyone that he didn't have the ability to plan and execute a murder
0: ah yeah
1: and to this end he definitely succeeded, with the papers referring to him as, and I quote, a tragic simpleton.
0: I hope they say that on my grave.
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> Oliver Green, a tragic simpleton.
0: I love it. Um... But,
1: I mean, I, I understand the play from him. It's, well, if I, if I just act like I was thick and stupid, maybe the jury will feel pity for me. And they did. Ooh. Louisa, meanwhile, she decided that she would act like a completely innocent woman. Unfortunately for her, she was a terrible actor, and she had no idea what innocence was. So it came across as callous when she joked with reporters and waved at people she recognised from the dock during the trial.
0: She seems like a case.
1: She, she was a bit. She, she loved having her photo taken outside of the court, and she would pose... And there are lots of pictures of her. You can search her up. Um, And to be honest, if you do search for her, the fact that she's in her 40s, you will not believe. You would assume that she was the one in her 70s. What is her full name? Louisa Merrifield.
0: Louisa.
1: It's Louisa May Merrifield, but if you search Louisa Merrifield. Oh, oh, okay. So that woman with the glasses and the little hat. 46.
0: No. I know. She looks old. Doesn't she just? Anyway, you notice how
1: she's smiling?
0: Yeah, she's loving life, isn't she? She's
1: on trial for murder.
0: Yeah, she loves it.
1: Yeah. She also didn't appear the least bit concerned when most of her drinking buddies provided evidence that she'd been talking about Sarah Ricketts in the past tense for weeks before her actual death
0: what a fool
1: as if she knew something that sarah herself didn't know she mm. also laughed off the three separate doctors who testified against her so all of it's not not going well
0: she seems like a bit of a sociopath
1: well she must have got some inkling um because she attempted to paint herself in a sympathetic light towards the end of the trial by claiming that her husband and Sarah Ricketts were having a secret steamy pensioner sex affair behind her back. That's
0: <laughs> so That's why she was... Um, that's why she had to eat jam from a jar. What, just she for was... the energy.
1: She was depleted sexually and she needed the energy boost that the sugar provided to get back into, you know, having her affair with um, Louisa's husband.
0: Yeah, OK, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> but... Um, it was such such a random thing to throw out that had not been referenced at any point in the trial that the judge himself made a comment that Louisa was, and this is a direct quote from the judge, during her murder trial, a vulgar and stupid woman with a very dirty mind. <laughs> Though, I also
0: want that on my grave.
1: <laughs> Though to be fair to the judge because, you know, obviously that could be considered prejudicial, uh, he did later add that this did not necessarily mean that she was guilty, you know, for the for the benefit of the jury. It's like, yes, I may, you know, in my position of judge, uh, refer to the defendant as a vulgar and stupid woman with a very dirty mind, but please bear in mind that doesn't mean that she killed someone. It just means that she's a dirty, dirty woman.
0: I mean, she looks dirty,
1: Well, we don't know what she got up to in terms of her sex life, but it was enough to kill someone within ten weeks. So, I'm guessing it's not just missionary. (laughs) Despite the judge, you know, saying she's not necessarily guilty, um, it didn't take the jury long to come to a conclusion. Guilty! Yeah, they... (laughs) They went away um, and it took them 30 minutes. And later one of the jurors said, yeah, we waited 30 minutes just just because we felt we needed to. You know, we felt like if we filed out and immediately filed back in, that would seemed like we we hadn't paid enough attention or we didn't care. So mm. they literally went into the back room and just <laughs> looking at the watches and going, what, what do you think about now? <laughs> well, have we waited long? And- Can we go? I, don't- I really want to get home before before tea, me wife's got a hot pot on. Come on.
0: I've got out of jury duty twice. Little fact for you.
1: Are you sure you wanna you know, this is listened to by tens of people. Are you sure you wanna give the reasons why? Were they legitimate um, re- reasons actually? Were yeah. Sure yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, they were legitimate okay. reasons. One, I was going into hospital to have my tonsils taken out at the time that they were doing it.
1: That'd be great. And even if even if you were at the trial you wouldn't have been able to actually give the verdict. I know.
0: And the second <laughs> time They called me up when I was in Edinburgh and I was literally about to move back down south like the next week.
1: And your excuse was? I'm moving. (laughs) I I won't be here.
0: The thing is I'm going because I'd actually really like to do it.
1: I've never been asked. It really annoys me. Mm, I'll ask you. I want to go. I want to get... A I, want a mur- yeah. I want a
0: proper murder case. No, I'd
1: go in it. It'd just be a series of really boring, intricate, like financial crimes. You, the jury, have to decide if this server was used, and if so, if the IP address was actually the true IP <laughs> address of the server that was. Used. Oh God, go away!
0: I want. I, I want, want blood a splatter. Yeah, that's what I want.
1: I want. I want analysis. I want somebody coming in and showing me detailed pictures of head wounds. Yeah. Anyway, yes, they, they found her guilty. I don't know if I mentioned that. Guilty. Yes, yeah, so she was found guilty by the jury after just half an hour of pretending to deliberate. Yeah. Louisa May Merrifield was sentenced to death on the 18th of August,
0: 1953. Hmm. Two her, days after my birthday.
1: You're, you're looking very young on your many, many years. I am actually 67. I I mean, I wouldn't put you a day above 50. (laughs) However, her husband, Alfred, cleared of all charges. Which was very, very unusual because normally... It'd be the guy. Well, if it was a husband and wife murder, it was either, yeah, the husband or both. It was very, very rare that it was the wife... Only who would actually cop to the charge. Louisa, she appealed the sentence, uh, but this was quickly dismissed and only bought her one further month, with a new date set for the 18th of September, 1953. Mm -hmm. In the days before her execution, she was visited by her husband, Alfred, and presumably apologised for accusing him of adultery in open court (laughs) in front of the nation's press. And they apparently parted on good terms. With oh. Louisa saying, goodbye Alfie, look after yourself, God bless.
0: I mean, very formal.
1: Mm. Louisa May Merrifield was hanged. No, she wasn't. Louisa May Merrifield was hung at Strangeways Prison in Manchester at 9.07am by Albert Pierpoint. I Apparent- quite their name. Albert Pierpoint? Yeah. Last, th- was, it was one of the Pierpoints who was the last hangman that ever worked. Mm-hmm. They were definitely a dynasty. There was... Um, was it two brothers and a son?
0: Can you imagine that being a family trade? It,
1: it, to be honest, they were very, very efficient. Mm-hmm. They made it... As far as you can make it, um, I know we were talking about guillotines earlier. Between... I think the record that one of the peer points got was between entering the condemned cell and hanging the person. So from the peer point walking in... To the person being dead seven yeah. seconds. Oh,
0: that's so good! Well done,
1: peer points. Yeah, so it's you know comparable to the guillotine in that respect, yes. and your neck's broke, so in the yeah, same way, you know, all all sensations severed to your head. So
0: that's the way to do it.
1: Mm. But anyway, it, it went off apparently without a hitch, bar Louisa refusing to remove her glasses.
0: I mean, they are a staple.
1: Well, I have no idea why at that point. It just seems like the the oddest thing to be like, no, no, no. So she can see? But they put a bag on your head. Do they? Yeah, yeah. You, you're you not allowed to be um just hung with your your head out. What,
0: well, because your eyes will pop out or something?
1: Your face doesn't look nice when you're being hung. I mean, well, I think I can they imagine. brought it in way back when, when it was the short drop. So, you know, the the sight of someone slowly asphyxiating... Is it's probably quite pleasant. horrific because who are we doing? Um, there was someone we were doing, and they requested specifically to have the hood off.
0: We did, but a car. It was a while ago, and
1: the hangman went, "No, no, for the, for the punters, come on." Guy.
0: Absolutely not.
1: You can't do that to them. There's women present, man. <laughs> Just shit yourself, like Just most people do.
0: Think of the women and the children
1: <laughs> who are watching your death
0: as a family day out.
1: Mm. They'll have a pie. They'll go off. They'll buy some memorabilia. They'll have a
0: meat pie and some jam out of a jar.
1: (laughs) Louisa was the last woman hung in strange ways, and only two more women would hang after her before the death penalty was abolished in the UK. Mm. Her husband, Alfred Merrifield, took her final words to heart, and he did indeed look after himself. Despite appearing to be a doddering old man in court he suddenly transformed into a shrewd legal mind and he refused to move out of 339 Devonshire Road despite the protestations of Sarah Rickett's daughters. Alfred argued that he'd been left half of the bungalow in the will and that as he'd been cleared of having any part in Sarah's murder, he saw no reason that he should leave the property that he legally owned half of. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, fair.
1: Eventually, he settled with the sisters who agreed to pay him a cash sum worth one-sixth at the property of the bungalow.
0: Okay.
1: He used this money to buy a caravan and lived out his days on the Golden Mile in Blackpool, making some extra money as a sideshow attraction where he would talk all about his late wife and her murderous ways. What? So you could... You could That's so
0: macabre.
1: Throughout the 50s and early 60s, you could pay Alfred Merrifield and you could sit down and have a chat with him about how his wife was a murderer.
0: That's insane.
1: Then you go off and have your ice cream.
0: And then, yeah, go see something at the Tower. Mm.
1: He also donated some of Louisa's clothes to Madame Tussauds, who paid him £200 to be allowed to create a waxwork of him to stand alongside one of Louisa in the Chamber of Horrors exhibit. Oh,
0: my God. Please tell me this still exists.
1: I don't, I don't believe they do because they recycle them quite ah. often. But at one point, there's, there's probably a photo somewhere that exists of Alfred Merrifield stood next to himself and his dead wife in Madame Tussauds. Probably with thumbs up, because he knows he got away with one. Alfred Merrifield finally died on the 24th of June 1962, at the age of 80. Though it could be argued that he should have died alongside his wife nearly a decade earlier.
0: That is... yes. He totally had something to do with that as well.
1: He bought the poison. There's no argument about that. He bought the poison and he had been involved in his wife's scams. You know, they'd scammed 20 old people before they got to Sarah Rickett. So he knew she was a criminal. He was a criminal by association, if not, you know, because he was just an out and out criminal, but he still got away with murder.
0: I mean, that should definitely be on his gravestone.
1: Got away with murder.
0: Ha, ha, ha,
1: and then spent, ha, you know, the last decade of his life talking to anyone who would pay him about the murder he definitely got away with.
0: You would have thought you'd want to like disassociate yourself with it, wouldn't you? Like pull yourself away and be like, yeah, but "That's I, I don't done." Look
1: at it from his point of view. You know, he probably when Louisa said we're going to retire to Blackpool and we're not going to have to work another day in our lives, he was like, "Oh, thank God! You know, I'm I'm 70 now. I just want to stop." He got exactly what she promised. He just got to sit in a deck chair on the front of Blackpool all summer long talking to people. This
0: would make a fantastic film.
1: It will bring some money into Blackpool, which will be much appreciated. So, yeah, yeah why not? Why not do it?
0: I, I'm going to write the script now.
1: Good. You, Done. Have, you have an hour. <laughs> and I know I've got,
0: You've got seven seconds, like the, uh, the peer points or whatever they're called
1: the peer points here you've got you've yeah. got seven seconds to knock out a script it's it's long enough to hang a person it's long enough for you to knock out a you know itv ready script let's not go bbc can, here i'm not gonna put too much pressure on you
0: can you stop saying knocking out please why because <laughs> <laughs> it means something different to me
1: oh no we're back to masturbation aren't we
0: oh we are and that is the end of the episode happy new year
1: everyone Well, no, it's not the end of the episode, because normally at this time, I will tell you the source and the book that I read to get this story. But this time, thanks for the story actually goes to my father-in-law, who, much like Louisa May Merrifield herself, was born in Wigan and later moved to Blackpool. In fact, he moved to 328 Devonshire Road in Blackpool, only a few doors down from Sarah Ricketts old place. Though, as far as I know, he is yet to murder anyone.
0: Shut up. That's amazing.
1: He moved into student digs just a couple of doors down from where two husbands gassed themselves and an old woman was poisoned by jam. And he just. Oh my God, I love it. We were sat having lunch and he just went, Joe, here's one for your podcast. I don't know if you've heard of the Blackpool poisoner. And he told me the story. And I was like, right, well, that's getting done. Yes, please. Oh, that brilliant. is
0: amazing. Oh, my God. I, do you know what? When, when you were telling me, like, where the story came from, I was just like, who's he related to? What has happened? Who in this story does Joe know? Like...
1: <laughs> and what you don't know is that my great-grandmother's first name, um, you know, before she got married, was Merrifield. Yes, I am a direct descendant of no. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I am her. <laughs> no, but I, I, I would never have come across that story because although it was infamous at the time and it caused a big scandal because she loved to court the press, it's one of those that's kind of fallen away because I think the problem with true crime, as I see it, is that in order to actually cut through the noise now, you have to be at least a multiple murderer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one or two... And there was probably other stuff going on at the time, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, yeah. That um, sort of overshadowed it.
1: But, you you know, you you get into some of these stories and sometimes the multiple murderers are a lot more boring than the the people who only killed once because you look at Harold Shipman.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: A more boring person has never existed than Harold Shipman.
0: He is well boring in interviews.
1: In everything. It's like looking at his life, you couldn't make an episode out of Harold Shipman.
0: No, he it, just looks dull, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, he treated murder like accountancy. It was just... He took all the fun out of murder.
0: You can imagine him having a really monotone voice, can't you? Mm. Hello, my name is Harold Chipman. I mean, And if I'm you're, going to kill all the people.
1: If you do want to leave me a little bit of money in your will, I wouldn't say no. I, <laughs> mm, it's always nice. Although there, there was a theory that the reason he was being left money and he was killing people was he was doing a, um, like, a, a not-quite-legal dignitas service. for the It's old like people. a
0: euthanasia kind yeah. of thing.
1: Which I, mean, is, I mean, the fact that he charged for it is a bit callous. I think...
0: You've got to get your kick somewhere if it's illegal.
1: Well, I know, it, I know it's illegal, and they may have considered it danger pay, but I just like the idea that the most... Prevalent sort of serial killer in British history was someone who's just going. Basically, it's the deluxe package. Um, <laughs> I put you out of your misery, and you you leave me a small small amount in your will, and we say no more about it. So, what do you what do you say, Mildred? Are You okay with that? Yes. How how much long do you need to get your affairs in order? I can kill you next Tuesday if that's convenient. <laughs> I'd like to get through Christmas. Oh, of course you would, Mildred. Should we? I have some time, uh, January the eighteenth. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> it's a Tuesday. I mean, no one really enjoys Tuesdays. It's a good day to go. Yeah, I'll do. Okay, see you. See you then, Mildred. Bye. That's mad, isn't it? But it it will be. You know, if if that was what actually happened, I think it, I don't think the old people actually knew what was going on. Hi there, it's Emma, chief organizer at Consistently Eccentric here to remind you all that if you like what you hear you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on acast spotify and itunes how fancy you can also join us on instagram at consistently eccentric podcast where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot
0: see you next week